This is my Bible. It is the Word of God and the will of God for my life. I am who the Word says I am. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. I'm where the Word says I am. I'm seated right now in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, the place of authority, dominion, and power. I have what the Word says I have. All the blessings of Abraham are mine. And I can do what the Word says I can do. I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. And then my mind is alert. My spirit is receptive as I am taught the Word of God. My life is changed for the better. And I will never be the same again. Amen. May be seated. And we're continuing last Sunday's message. And as pastor's been saying, we'll just see how far we get. If you would, though, turn your Bible to Matthew chapter 14 and hold your place there. Now, before we get to Matthew 14, like last Sunday, I'm going to deal with a few things related to the topic that we're in. And th this is to help you. And again, as pastor said at 9 a.m., our, our heart's desire is that in every area of life, you and your family, your loved ones, you would walk in the blessing of the Lord, and you would not lack or be in need in any part of your life. Now, out there in this culture, and part of it's the time in which we live, part of it's the culture in which we live, and then part of it, Jesus and Peter and Paul, they said that these things would happen in the last days. So on the one hand, we're surprised by it. But because of what Jesus said and Paul said and Peter said, we shouldn't be surprised by it. But there is a message out there that's becoming increasingly popular, and that message says that you are blessed and you will be blessed no matter what you do, no matter what you don't do, no matter what choices or decisions you'll make. And sadly, there are those that are now elevating Paul to a level higher than Jesus, and it's a great misrepresentation of the Word of God. Now, the Apostle Paul wrote the majority of the New Testament, and his writings are epistles, which are literally letters. And of course, we can't do what they did in the first or second century. If we got to church today and I said, today we're going to cover Romans, all of it, start to finish, Everybody would be looking at their watch, wondering when we're getting out of church. And so, for instance, at the church in Philippi, when they received his letter, they read it from start to finish. And so when we deal with this topic or that topic, we'll often give verses and references. We'll go to this or that place. My point is, what Paul wrote are letters. They are meant to be read from start to finish. And when people pull part of this verse or that verse out of context, they can be grossly misrepresented and great harm can be done. And so there's this idea out there that Paul didn't teach the importance of obeying or doing the commands of God, that Paul did not teach the importance of living a holy and a righteous and a pure life. And so as we get started this morning, I'm just going to give you a few examples of how that is nonsense. In your Bible, real quick, in the New Testament, look at the book of Acts. Turn to the book of Acts, chapter 
26. Just give you a few quick examples. And upstairs they're wondering what I'm doing. Book of Acts chapter 26 and verse 20. And this is when the Apostle Paul was on his way to Rome. And at various stages along the way to different government officials, he presented a defense of himself and of his ministry. And he used every one of those opportunities to share the gospel, to present the gospel. And I, I love that. Jesus died for whosoever will. He died and he paid the price so that anyone, great or small, can call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. And the Apostle Paul believed that the gospel should be declared in Rome. He believed that even Caesar should have the benefit of hearing the gospel. Acts 26 and verse 20. First to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and to the Gentiles also, I preached that they should repent and turn to God and prove their repentance by their deeds. So there it is. There's the word, deeds, or work, or action. As the New Testament says, praise God we're saved, but we have to also work out our salvation. And the fact that somebody has been saved or born again is evidenced by their deeds, by their actions, by their genuinely living the Christian life. Now turn just a few pages over to Romans chapter 1. Romans is one of his longer epistles. No, we could not cover it in one Sunday morning. But look at the beginning of Romans chapter 1. Look at verse 5. Through him and for his name's sake, we receive grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the what? And again, I believe a Bible ought to be used. So it's okay to mark your Bible, underline your Bible, write notes in your Bible, highlight your Bible. And so he writes, through him and for his name's sake, we receive grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. Now, turn to the very end of Romans. Turn to the very last chapter of Romans. Romans chapter 16. Pick up in verse 25. Now to him who is able to establish you by my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all nations might believe and, what's that next word? Obey, Obey him. So that all nations might believe and obey him. So I want you to see from the word of God that anyone that would lift part of what Paul taught or wrote here or there to lead people to believe, it doesn't matter what they do or how they live or what choices or decisions they make or that, that grace means we can just do whatever we want, live however we want and we're, we're good, we're covered and we're going to just be as blessed as we ought to be, they're misrepresenting the word of God. And they're misrepresenting the Apostle Paul. And you see as one example that he begins Romans and ends Romans with obedience. That all nations might believe and obey. And this is part of why you hear us teach in various ways 
that believing and right believing is important, but that is not sufficient in and of itself. You've got to make the right choices. You've got to make the right decisions. You've got to take the right steps of actions. You've got to live out those right things you believe. You've heard my father use the example that you can believe it's good to eat healthy. You can believe it's good to diet and exercise. You can believe that if you got a gym membership and went at least once a week, you'd be better off. But if you don't take action, you're not going to enjoy the benefits of believing those right things. I want to give you one further example from the New Testament. Turn to 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 3. And this is great because in the message last Sunday, today, next Sunday, we're going to be dealing some with Peter. Peter was a fisherman. And I love how the gospels show us the, the truth of who these men were that followed Jesus. He was a fisherman. He had his strengths. He had his weaknesses. And unlike Luke, the physician, and unlike Paul, Peter was not an educated man. And so I love the way that Peter phrases this at the end of his second epistle. 2 Peter 3, beginning in verse 14. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant, unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. And so all of those years ago, the Holy Spirit warned the church then and today and at all times that there would be those that would twist the scriptures and would twist the things that Paul wrote to their own destruction, but to the destruction of those that would listen and implement those things in their lives. And the Holy Spirit used the uneducated fishermen to warn the church about that. And so my point is that in the midst of all of this and these things that are alarming as they happen, this is the fulfillment of Scripture. This is the fulfillment of what Jesus said would happen, what Paul said would happen, what Peter said would happen, what John by the Holy Spirit said would take place in these last days. As all of this goes on, as the culture gets more wicked, as the culture gets more crazy with all of its insanity, I'm just going to believe the Word of God and do the Word of God. I'm just going to believe my Heavenly Father and be a doer of His Word. I'm going to just keep believing His Word, doing His Word. And as we, we said last Sunday, like Joshua, my attitude is, as for me and my house will serve the Lord. Amen. Now, all throughout Scripture, we see that there is a principle of putting God first and honoring God with your wealth, with the first fruit. And the word that is used in Scripture is hasar, which means tenth. It's the word for tithe. And I'm not a farmer. I, Jessica and I don't have any cows. We don't have a cow or a lamb to bring to the Lord. We don't, we don't have wheat or corn, so I don't have agricultural produce to bring to the house of God, to honor God. The increase that crosses our hands is money, currency. And I see from the Word of God the principle that I'm to honor God, I'm to put God first, 
I'm to bring him the first of what crosses my hands. And I see from Scripture there are certain benefits associated with that. You go to Malachi 3, we learn that he's promised to open the windows of heaven and pour out so much blessing we can't contain it. That the fruit of our lives, our labor, our work will not be spoiled. And I love the King James, the new King James, the devourer will be rebuked. Now, I know better than to spiritualize everything, but some things are spiritual, and some things are the enemy. Recently, someone blessed me and youth minister Aaron Wood with tickets to the Rangers, so we had planned to go, and he was going to take Jackson, their youngest. I was going to take Samuel, and so that was yesterday, and we, we had been planning that and looking forward to that, and I was all ready to go. It was probably half an hour until he came to our house to pick us up. And I looked out our, our kitchen window and there's all this smoke behind our, our property. Which, you know, it's, it's hot, it's Texas, it's July. You don't want to look outside and see a bunch of smoke. And so I, I walked out back to the back of our property. We're on five acres. I walked back to the far back. Well, we have a neighbor to the northeast and they don't really take as good a care of their property as they should. I'm being nice and gracious, amen. <laughs> you know, if you haven't mowed all year, right now is probably not the time to start, amen. And so I walked back out there. Well, they, they had had someone to try and start mowing, and a huge fire had ignited. And praise God that the fire department came quickly, and those guys were wonderful about making sure that it was out. But it, it burned up a lot of their property, got into our neighbor's property in the north. But you'll see in the last photo that they put up that that did not cross over onto our property at either corner. Now, in my life, I just believe my Heavenly Father. Amen. And I just believe His Word. Amen. And I just believe that if I do what His Word says, He'll bring His Word to pass in my life. And I just believe that if I'll do what His Word says, that Malachi 3 and verse 11 will be proven true in our lives again and again and again, and he'll rebuke the devourer for whose sake? For my sake. Now, see, in our lives, we live this out. Well, it would be wrong of me not to teach this to you, the people of God. It would be selfish. And it would be wrong of me over time to live this out and walk in greater and greater blessing and not teach it to the new people that are coming to faith in Christ so that they might live above the world system and not just have their needs met, but have plenty and also as a benefit, just one benefit, have the devour rebuke. So out there, people just do whatever they want to do. What are Jessica and I going to do? What are my parents going to do? We're just going to keep believing God and believing his word and doing his word and walking in the benefits of what his word says. Amen. And I, I don't care how popular there, something is out there. And this, this illustration, these photos, it connects to what we're dealing with, that, and that is the fact that our heavenly father is El Shaddai, the God of more than enough. But we're back there, we, we have new neighbors to the east. It's not a good way to meet your neighbors. We met them yesterday. They were asking me about our yard. And I told them, well, we, we water the whole thing. We, we fertilize the whole thing. They, they asked me what our water bill is. I told them it's about, last month was $1,000. This next month, they'll probably be double that. And they just kind of looked at me askance like, we're nuts. 
Well, now's a good time to be walking with El Shaddai so you can water your yard. So these things are all interconnected. When God first blessed us with this property, you know, I was figuring out how to operate at that new level. And that first spring, I thought I would save money by only fertilizing the sodded part of the yard, by only watering the sodded part of the yard. And it was around the time of Easter that first spring, we were, we were on our way going to my parents' house past our property, and it just looked like wild kingdom and wild flowers everywhere. And I just knew, I thought, man, when I, when I get to my father's house and walk in, he's going to say something. And sure enough, I walked into pastor's house and he said, Austin, you do know that you can believe God to fertilize your entire yard. Amen. But you've heard us say that God will meet you at whatever level you can believe him at. Amen. So I'm challenging you in the midst of everything going on in the world to look to our heavenly father Amen. and to look to his word and to stand fast on his word and his promises. And there's all things in all of our lives that we can do better. There are ways in all of our lives that we can believe God at a greater level, a higher level, and take action at higher levels to walk in his best, to walk in his blessing. So yes, there is a lie that says you're blessed and will be blessed no matter what you do or how you live, no matter what choices or decisions you might make. And that's nonsense. If you're born again, yes, in Christ, we are blessed. As Paul says, all the blessings of the heavenly realm, they are available to us. And yes, in Christ, we have been redeemed from the curse of the law. But that does not change the fact that our actions matter. Our choices and decisions matter. And seed time and harvest is still a law. If you sow, you will reap. And if you sow, you will reap whatsoever you soweth. But if you don't sow, is there going to be a harvest? Picture a farmer. You can picture him in overalls, however you want to picture your farmer. But picture a farmer. He has heard this new grace teaching. And he's heard that he's blessed and doesn't have to do anything to be blessed. He's heard that he is blessed and will be blessed no matter what he does. He's heard he's blessed and will be blessed no matter whether he sows or doesn't sow. So this farmer doesn't prepare or cultivate his fields. He doesn't sow or plant. Why? He's been told that he'll be blessed and will be blessed no matter what he does. Question, will there be a harvest? And the answer is no. See, any, anybody paying attention knows that because of what our government and governments around the world have done, spending money like drunken sailors, telling everybody to stay home, making everybody feel better about it by printing more money, there are difficult economic times coming ahead. And so it's egregious to tell the people of God that they don't have to do anything to walk in the blessing of God. The flip side is, as the Congregation of Faith Christian Center will be prepared to walk in the blessing of the Lord no matter what is ahead of us. Now let's pick up where we left off last week. And again, like last Sunday, I want to give you Genesis 8, verse 22. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest will never cease. James 1.22 is a great reminder. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. 
And sometimes people will not just put Paul in juxtaposition with Jesus. They'll do that with Paul and James. But again, as I just showed you at the beginning of Romans, the end of Romans, Paul deals with obedience. Our wonderful heavenly father, one of his names is El Shaddai, the almighty God, the all-sufficient God, the God of more than enough. And our heavenly father wants us to have more than enough in every area of life, not just enough. Why don't we say this? Say more than enough. Say, say it again. Say more than enough. And we all grew up in different homes. We all came from different backgrounds. Maybe you didn't know anything about Christianity until you came here and got saved. You probably will be, have an easier time believing God and believing his word than maybe someone that grew up in a religious home. Maybe they have certain religious prejudices. Maybe, maybe they were taught that it, it's wrong to have anything. Or there should just be enough, but, but God doesn't want us to have $1 past more than enough. So you got to just set all of that aside. We know him by who he has revealed himself to be. And he is El Shaddai, the almighty God, the all-sufficient God, the God of more than enough. And so at whatever level you're at, you just have to lift up your eyes. Whatever level you're at, you just have to lift up your eyes and believe God for more and for greater. Matthew 14, beginning in verse 14. We're there. Matthew 14, beginning in verse 14. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place. It's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. And I love it in Mark's gospel and another of the gospels. Mark's gospel, they say, that would take eight months of a man's wages. Are we to go and spend that much? See, there, there are people out there and they grew up in church and they would say they love God, they love, they love his word, but they've been baptized in certain religious prejudices. And so there, there are people that they're out there and they have the mentality that Jesus and his disciples couldn't afford to eat at Taco Bell after the service. That, that, that they, walk, they walked around with not enough. They walked around with their, their hands out. But it's very specific in Mark's gospel. Jesus said, you do something about it. You give them something to eat. And they say in Mark's gospel, Mark 6, 37, that would take eight months of a man's wages. Are we to go and spend that much? There's another religious prejudice that people have. That if it's this nice, it's okay. That's godly. That's religious. But if it's a little bit nicer, you're on your way to hell. See, that, that's a religious prejudice. I remember being a young teenager, probably younger than Michaela. Not, she's not a teenager yet. No, amen. So whatever age that is, I remember being a young guy. And I remember my father believing God to fly in first class. And that's back in the days when first class was nice. And they treated you nice. And what they've done is terrible. So at whatever level you're at, you can lift up your eyes and you can believe God for greater, for better, for nicer, to have what you want, to have what you desire. That's another religious prejudice, that God will meet your needs, but not your wants. 
that God wants your needs to be met just as long as they're not too nice, but he, he doesn't care about your wants or your desires. Psalm 37, 4 says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give unto you the desires of your heart. When Jesus, when Jesus taught on the prayer of faith in Mark chapter 11, he said, what things soever, who desires? You desire. What things soever I desire? What things soever you desire? So he doesn't just want our needs to be met. He wants us to have more than enough. He doesn't just want our needs to be met. He wants us to have our wants met. He wants us to have our desires met. I see a lot of parents this morning. He wants you to have more than enough so you can be a vehicle used by God to bring your children's righteous and godly wants and desires to pass. And when my mom's mom was in town, my grandma, the children's great-grandmother, Last time she was here, she took, and I don't know, remember how many years ago that was, five years, six years ago when she was here, she took Sophie and Michaela to American Girl Doll. They did the day, got dolls, did tea, lunch, the whole shebang. That was an expensive day. And when she was just here, I, I teased that they ought to take all the girls to American Girl Doll. Some of you parents are getting nervous in the service right now. But see, for a little girl, that, that, that's a want or desire. They're not thinking about the cost. They're not thinking about how expensive the doll is. They just see that and they think that's nice and I want it. Well, our Heavenly Father not only wants to meet our needs, He wants to meet our wants and our desires. In the Gospels, Jesus said, if you, even though you are evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more will our Heavenly Father give good things to those who ask? So he wants to give us good. Say, say it, say, he wants to give me and my family good things. He doesn't want us to go to bed hungry. He doesn't want us to go to bed thirsty. He doesn't want us to wear clothes that are worn out. He wants us to be so blessed that we can give nice things away before they're worn out to people who need them. He wants us to have plenty. He wants us to be, have more than enough. He, he wants us to be, be satisfied. Verse 17, we have here only five loaves and two fish. And we know from John's gospel that these came from a little boy. So it, that day it was a little boy who had faith. That day it was a little boy who sowed. Not the men, not the grown-ups. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish. Bring them here to me, he said, and he directed the people to sit down on the grass. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, looking up to heaven, he gave thanks, and the King James says he blessed them. I love that. He gave thanks and broke the loaves. He multiplied them. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. Verse 20, they all ate and were satisfied. And I, I would mark that, I would underline that, I would highlight that in your Bible. They all ate and they were? You know, last Sunday I asked if you had ever been to an event or to a relative get-together where you were afraid to eat or didn't want to eat, or you ate what was set before you and you left hungry. See, that, that may be man or woman being cheap or stingy or not generous, but that's not who our Heavenly Father is. He wants us to eat and be 
satisfied. He wants us to eat and have plenty. He wants us to eat and have plenty left over. And we just have to give up wrong attitudes and wrong mentality. You know, my, my, my grandmother, to mention her again, she, she came from hard times in Europe. And so I remember growing up when she watched us when my parents were gone, she would always tell us, now, now you need to eat that because there, there are children going hungry somewhere in the world right now if you don't eat that or finish that, which is true. So we're, to be, we're blessed to be a blessing, amen? But we have to watch the things that we say to our children. We have to watch the things that we say to our, our grandchildren. They all ate and they were satisfied. The disciples picked up 12 basketfuls. How many? So there wasn't just one basket or two or three or four or five or six or seven or eight or nine or 10 or 11 basketfuls left over. There were 12 basketfuls of broken pieces left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. And of course, the question comes up. Doesn't our heavenly father know when enough is enough? Doesn't he know exactly how much everyone needed to eat that day down to the last morsel? Maybe there were people there counting their calories. Didn't he know how much they all needed to eat down to the last daily approved calorie? And yet, how many basketfuls were left over? That's who our heavenly father is. Plenty. Excess. More than enough. Some people might call it wasteful. Because again, it's bread and it's fish. What if you don't eat it all before it goes, goes bad? You know, sometimes at our home, that's the excuse I'll make. When Jessica's made cookies or she's made a pie or a cake, I don't want it to go to waste, amen? And even if we put it in a box and ship it somewhere to be a blessing, it won't get there in time. Don't want to be wasteful, amen? I better, I'm working on that, amen? Our Heavenly Father wants us to have more than enough. Why don't we say that? Say more than enough. If you look at Genesis chapter 17 and the first two verses, this is how our heavenly father revealed himself to Abraham. He said, I am El Shaddai, and I will multiply thee exceedingly. He's the God of more than enough. He's the all-sufficient God. I will multiply thee exceedingly. I love it in Deuteronomy how the Lord told his people through Moses he wanted to increase them a thousand times. And that's the old covenant. How much more does he want to do in our lives today? So we've got to cooperate. We've got to be, as it says in Isaiah 119, we've got to be both willing and obedient. And there are some believers and they're obedient, but they're not willing because, they, because of religious upbringing. They don't think they should have it. They don't, they don't think it's righteous or godly. They, they, don't, they don't think they're good enough for the blessings of our heavenly father. So it's not just a matter of obedience, it's a matter of willingness. We've got to be obedient, but we've also got to be willing. Willing and obedient. I am El Shaddai, and I will multiply thee exceedingly. Our Heavenly Father doesn't just want us to have enough. He wants us to have more than enough. Last Sunday, I mentioned donuts. This is an ongoing conversation in our household. Because tonight, if there are any left over, I don't want them to go to waste. Amen. <laughs> but there'll be weekends, and for whatever reason, there'll be more left over. And 
Jessica will say, I should get fewer. But, you know, it's always the weekend I get fewer that the kids eat them all and wonder where the rest are. And so, again, our Heavenly Father, He is the God not just of enough, He's the God of? And no, we, we, sh we shouldn't be wasteful, but we, we've also got to not be negative and not get into that where it's not just a matter of being a good steward, but we become selfish, we become stingy, we're, we're not generous, we're withholding when it's in our power to be a blessing. I know there's a balance. Better to err on the side of generosity. Better to err on the side of being a blessing. Better to err on the side of having plenty left over. That, that was the first miracle of Jesus. A wedding celebration. Nothing religious about it besides a young couple being joined together in holy matrimony. They, that had happened. It was the celebration part. They had run out, and he did a miracle, and there was more than enough, the best for last. That's who our Heavenly Father is. The New Testament tells us in Hebrews 6 and verse 14 that God wants to bless us and multiply us. That's his will, more than enough. Now let's go back to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. And here we come back to Peter. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. He sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water, let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full, they began to sink. That's who our Heavenly Father is. Plenty, more than enough. So many, you don't know what to do with it all. So full, they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Now the Gospels are focused on Jesus. His being born on our behalf, everything that he did on our behalf, him paying the price so we could be a part of the family of God. That's what the Gospels are focused on. But on the, along the way, we pick up little details. Simon was a first century Jewish businessman, a fisherman. We know from the Gospels that Simon had a mother-in-law, which means Simon would have had a And any first century Jewish businessman who was a devout person, if he had a wife, they would have had children. He had people counting on him. He had family to support and to feed. In those days, Mrs. Peter, whatever her name was, she couldn't go get a job and work and have an income or a salary. These men that followed Jesus, they had wives, 
They had children, people that needed to be housed, clothed, and fed. So we don't often think about that. And yet when they saw that miracle, they left everything behind to follow Jesus. How could they do that? They had met in person, in the flesh, the God of more than enough. They had met the master of provision. Now think about it. During the three and a half years Jesus ministered, do you think Peter's wife went hungry? Do you think his children went hungry? Do you think the wives or the children of any of the disciples went hungry or were out on the roadside begging that maybe when Jesus came to Jerusalem with the disciples, there were all their families out, out, out there outside the gates begging because their, their husbands, their men had went on a three-year ministry trip. Can you picture that? No, of course not. He is the God of plenty. He is the God of more than enough. His name is not just Jehovah Jireh, the Lord God, our provider. His name is El Shaddai, the almighty God, the all-sufficient God, the God of more than enough. Those men saw that miracle and they left everything and followed him. And you have to picture it big picture. They did that knowing their families would need to be taken care of, but not worrying about it because of the one whom they had just met. Amazing. So see, we got to set all that religious prejudice aside. We've got to set aside all those sayings that we, we heard growing up that would lead us to believe that if God answers your prayer request or this sister's prayer request, that there's not going to be enough left over for the rest of us. You know, once a minister took my father to lunch and chastised him about believing God and told him that the pie is only so big and that if my father believed God for too much, there's less pie for everybody else. That's religion, but that's not Bible. That's religion, but that's not who our heavenly father is. He is the God of more than enough. Now, there are three huge factors to this miracle. First, Simon answered, he said, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. We do our part, we take action. But sometimes we're in this situation. Master, we've worked hard all night, but haven't caught anything. The second factor, look at the words of Simon in verse five. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. Because you say so, I will let down the nets. This is why last Sunday I said that I'm a simple man. Like my father, I went to school. Yes, I have the education, but I'm a simple man. And there's great faith in what Peter did here. Because you say so. And see, this is what is so evil and wicked about what is going on in our nation. Just seven days ago, I, I heard someone in a pulpit say that we don't need to do or live out what Jesus taught in the Gospels. It's evil. It's wicked. It'll do great harm in the lives of God's people. But notice that in contrast to Peter's attitude. Jesus, because you say so. See, I'm a simple man. I go to the Gospels and Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. So I figure that's the way I should live. 
I go to the Gospels and Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. I'm a simple man. I figure that's the way I should live. Peter said, because you say so, I will let down the nets. Third, when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish, their nets began to break. So the power is in hearing and the obeying. The power is in the hearing and the taking action. The power is in the hearing and the obeying God. Say this, say, as I sow, I'm reaping more than enough. Say, as I sow, I have plenty. The catch was huge. So huge, their nets began to break. They called for help. The catch was so large, both boats began to sink. That's a lot of fish. And some would say it's too many or too much. Some would say it's wasteful. But that's what our Heavenly Father does. He doesn't just want us to have enough. He wants us to have more than enough. Jesus multiplied their labor and their catch of fish. Just as the New Testament promises in Hebrews 6 and verse 14 saying, Surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. That's who our God is. That's what he does. He made this world and everything in it to produce more than enough. See, when people talk about scarcity or lack or not enough, they're lying. And you can't trust men. You can't trust government. It is wicked. When, the, when government officials talk about scarcity, it is being engineered. Just in the news in the past two weeks, it came out that while gas prices are high in our nation, our, our government officials have been selling off some of our reserves to foreign countries. Wicked. Amen. Evil. There is enough. There is plenty. You just got to open up the tap and turn things on. Amen. And that's who our Heavenly Father is. He, he's not going to run out if you believe Him or if I believe Him. He, he's not going to run out if, if somebody believes Him for an extra $1,000. The Bible says He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. The Bible says the silver and the gold is His. Everything that He put in the earth, He put in the earth for us. It's here for us to use. It's here for us to enjoy. Dr. T.L. Osborne would always use India as an example. You go to India, and because of religion, people are hungry. Because of religion, people are in need, but there's, there's all these cows walking around. See, that's what religion does. That's what man does. But our Heavenly Father is the God of more than enough. And He produces. He designed things to produce more than enough. Right now, in the jungles of the world, there are too many bananas. There are too many coconuts. They fall off trees and rot. But the devil is a liar. He'll tell us that we're running out. He'll tell us that there won't be enough. He's a liar. He's a deceiver. With our Heavenly Father, there is plenty. With our Heavenly Father, there isn't just enough. With our Heavenly Father, there is more than enough. Say, say my, heavenly father my Heavenly Father wants me to have more than enough. My Heavenly Father wants me to have plenty. You, you may not really realize it, but He loves you. He's for you. He wants you to not just have enough, He wants you to have more than enough. He wants you to have the desires of your heart met. 
He, he doesn't want you to have to wear clothes that are worn out or clothes that have holes in them. He wants you to have new. He wants you to have nice. He wants you to have the things that you desire. He wants you to be able to feed your children. He wants you to be able to clothe your children. He doesn't want a little boy or a little girl to go to school and be in pain because they have shoes on that are too small or too tight. He wants you to have plenty. He wants you to have more than enough. And he gave us a system to work. He gave us a plan to work that we would have plenty. And that plan is sowing and reaping. And it can work against you, but if you turn it around into the positive, it can work for you. And we sow and we give and we plant for the meeting of every need, not just with enough, but with plenty, with more than enough. I love what the Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 8. Why don't we say that? Say, in all things, at all, things, at all, times, at all times, I have all that I need. Say, I have more than enough. Say, I have plenty. Say, I am satisfied. And this is the level at which you've got to lift up your eyes and believe God. And say, plenty is on the way. Say, more than enough is on the way. There, there's an unexpected bill or something costs more than what you thought it would cost. And, and everybody's hopeful that prices will go down and they'll stay down. Once companies figure out they can charge more, they're, they're not going to tomorrow charge less. So in the midst of all of this, we have to learn to walk by faith and not by sight. We have to learn to believe our Heavenly Father and to work His plan for the meeting of every need. James 4 and verse 2 says, You have not because you ask not. And who's our Heavenly Father? El Shaddai the God of more than enough. Now again, maybe growing up, everything you asked mom for, the answer was no. Maybe everything you asked your natural father for, the answer was no. But that's not who our heavenly father is. He loves you. He wants your every need met. He wants you to have more than enough. He wants you to have the dreams and desires of your heart. Growing up, I'd hear my father tell stories about how at Christmas, he'd get socks for Christmas or underwear for Christmas. That's not who our Heavenly Father is. I said, that's not who our Heavenly Father is. Well, I know you've been waiting all month, but it's your birthday, so we're, we're going to eat today. That's not who our Heavenly Father is. So you got to set all of that aside and know the one you serve. He's Jehovah Jireh the Lord our provider. He's El Shaddai, the God of more than enough. You have not because you ask not. So we're to ask. And yes, as Jesus taught, our heavenly Father knows what we need even before we ask, but we must still ask. Jesus said one chapter over in Matthew 7, ask and it will be given to you. Ask and it will be given to you. The NIV, ask and you will receive. What is our Heavenly Father able to do? The Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians 3 and verse 20, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power and work within us, to him be the glory and in the church and in Christ Jesus. Why don't we say that? Say, my Heavenly Father, he wants to do in my life 
in my home, in my family, exceedingly, abundantly, above all that I can ask or imagine. Now you might say, Austin, with where I'm at, I don't know how I can get there. Step by step of faith. You have to believe God right where you're at. You have to lift up your eyes right where you're at. You have to obey God and take the action you know you should take right where you're at. And as you do that, he will prove his word true in your life. As you do that, he will prove who he is true in your life, that he is the God of more than enough. Bow your heads. You might be here today, perhaps you've never asked Jesus Christ to be the Lord and the Savior of your life. Our Heavenly Father, he loves you. He has a wonderful plan for your life, but it all begins by becoming a part of the family of God. We live in a time and a culture where people want to believe that they can just live however they want or do whatever they want, and it's all going to work out. There's the lie that if someone is just kind of good enough, that that's enough, that's sufficient, and they'll be in heaven someday. It's a lie. There's a lie out there that we can each come up with our own path to God. That's a lie. Jesus said, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. There is one name by which we can be saved, and his name is Jesus. And the Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that's Jesus, that whosoever would believe on him, that's you or me, that we would not perish, but have everlasting life. It's a choice. It's a decision to give your life to God, to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. He gave his life for you. It's a decision to give your life to him. And it's the only way to become a part of the family of God. It's the only way to have heaven as your home. It's the only way to have God as your father. By giving your life to him and accepting Jesus Christ as the Lord and the Savior of your life. You might be here today and say, Austin, I've never done that but I want to be a part of the family of God. If that's you this morning, wherever you're seated, raise your hand where I'll see it, and I'll know you want me to pray with you. Say, Austin, pray with me. I've never done that. I've never given my life to God. I've never asked Jesus to be my Lord and Savior, but I want to. I need to. I want to do that this morning. If that's you, raise your hand where I'll see it. You might also be here today and at a time in your life, you prayed a prayer, you walked an aisle, but you know in your heart you've not been living for God. You've been doing your own thing. You've paid a price. I bring you good news. The Bible tells us that the mercies of God are new every morning. The Bible tells us that if we confess our sins, he's faithful. He's just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You can leave here today knowing you have peace with God. You can leave here today with a new beginning, with a fresh start walking with the Lord the way you should. If you're here today and say, Austin, 
that's me. I want to recommit my life. I want to make things right with God before I go. That's you this morning. Raise your hand where I'll see it. You might be watching or listening online now or later. And you say, Austin, that, that's for me. I want to pray with you. Repeat this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I repent of my sins. I give you my life. Time's gone by. I've gone my own way. And I paid the price. But I ask Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. And I give my life to you. Thank you for welcoming me into your family. Thank you for setting me free from anything that would hinder me in living for you. I give you my life in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, watching online, we want to be a blessing to you. The address on the screen, fill out a very short form, and we want to bless you with a copy of God's very own child in English or in Spanish, short, easy to read, but it'll help you get started in this new life, live for God. And you might be here this morning and you'd say, Austin, I, I didn't raise my hand, but I prayed, I know that that was for me after the service, see an usher, the wonderful people at guest services, they'll get you a Bible, they'll get you a copy of God's very own child. Well, I hope the message today was a blessing and encouragement to you. As the world gets crazier, the right thing to do is to keep walking with God Amen. and to look to Him. Our, our help comes from the Lord. Amen. And like Paul, we say, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus.